Turn with me in your scripture, if you would. We're going to get right into the word. Psalm chapter 2. While you're turning there or getting your Bible, let me pray for us and pray that this series would be a blessing to you, life transforming to you, and touch your heart, cause a trust to be built up inside of you, no matter what crises rage around you, what difficulties you might be finding yourself situated in, you will see that trusting God is the best way to not only live a life of peace, but of joy and comfort and power in these times we live in today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you that it is a sharp and living word. And now I just simply ask that you would give your messenger the ability to speak what is on your heart. And then give us ears to hear the gospel. Give us ears to hear truth. Give us the ability now to appropriate your word in ways that transform our lives. So we're asking that in times of crisis, whether it be a pandemic, whether it be uh, racial strife, whether it be violence on the streets, whether it be a nation turning from God, no matter what's happening around us, we have a steady, steadfast, resolved faith that trusts in you at all times. Thank you, God, for birthing this trust. When we have it, it'll grow. If we're lacking it, you're going to give it to us today, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you're in your scripture, Psalm chapter two, it says, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves together and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord, and against his anointed. Let us burst their bonds apart and let us cast their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs and the Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell the decree the Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is kindled quickly. Blessed is blessed are all who take refuge in him. Trusting God in times of crisis. We are oftentimes confronted with a haunting question, a troubling question. If God is so powerfully reigning and ruling on earth today, if he is sovereign as he says he is over all things, then the question is why all the raging? Why all the wicked plotting? Why all the world, why the world gone mad? Why so much violence? Why so much rebellious rejection of God? Why does it seem there's a diminishment of the righteousness in our nations? Why do the people, the nations, the rulers, and the kings want to cast off God, to burst his bonds, and to live without God? We're seeing that in our nation like never before. I have been in the ministry for many decades now, and I have seen a spiritual declension come across this nation in this hour like never before. So we're asking ourselves the question, can we trust God? Will we trust God? What is our heart's passion about trusting God in times like this? Are we not weary of the moral decay? Are we not troubled in soul? Are we not vexed in our mind and our soul over a, a, a nation that once served and honored and loved and respected God and now seems to be descending into an ever-increasing uh, decadence, an ever-descending uh, movement away from the things of God? So as we look at the scripture, it starts off in Psalm chapter 2, verse 1. It, it asks this question, why do the nations rage? 
The very first word there, why, is, is actually a word in Hebrew that can be translated as also what. What, what, in other words, like what with a question mark right after it. What, the nations are raging? What, the people are insolent against God? What, they are questioning his authority? What, how can this be? This what question is, is, is a question of what, what could be in a person's mind to think that it's plausible to reject God in such a way and still live a life of joy and peace and comfort and, 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 a, and a, having a future of hope. This could only happen in a nation that is giving themselves over to a moral depravity. This could only happen in a nation, this, this nation's raging against the things of God could only happen in a, in a time of spiritual declension. Turn real quickly to 2 Peter chapter 2. And we'll, we'll see in there, it, it begins to say, and let's, let's look at verse 6, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as the righteous man lived uh, among them day after day, he was tormented in his righteous soul over the lawless deeds that he heard, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of the defiling passions and despise authorities. We see here in Second Peter a description of what King David was talking about in Psalm chapter 2 about nations raging, peoples plotting, kings and rulers of the earth coming up against the things of God. And the people of God... Peter begins to speak about them in the midst of this and uses some of these interesting words that, 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 that it could be tempting for us. It could be tempting for us to despair. It could be tempting for us to feel defeated in spirit. It could be tempting for us to feel hopeless, to feel it's beyond remedy, to feel that our nation is too far gone, to have a hopeless pessimism uh, uh, concerning the future of this godless nation. And it speaks in Second Peter of Noah, and it speaks of Lot, and it says they were distressed by the sensual conduct. Many of us today are stressed, stressed by this when we see things in the news, on television, movie theaters, in culture, and society. When you go out among people, you see all these things taking place in this last hour. Another phrase used in Peter is tormented in soul over the lawless deeds. And maybe we're asking the same question because we are in that same spirit of being tormented of soul or like Noah because it says society was indulging in the lust of defiling passions and the depravity uh, and, and the despising of authority. They, they, they would not be willing to submit themselves to authority whether it be godly authority, uh, the, the, the authority of the Bible, the authority of, uh, of a nation, the, the godly authorities that God puts in place might be judicial or might be legislative, it might be the police, and there's this despising of authority we see rampant in the world and society today. Psalm 1 and 2 begins to give us a picture of how to navigate in times like this. How do we, how do we move ahead and become a trusting people when we see all these things transpiring around us? And Psalms 1 and 2 is part of a, a bigger picture. It's, it was originally said to be uh, actually one psalm, and not actually Psalm 1 and 2, but actually an introduction to the whole book of psalms. And it was in one letter, not divided into two. And the first part of it, it deals with personal 
problems, personal rebellion, people that were sitting and scorning, people that were walking in wickedness, people that were standing in unrighteousness. And the warning in Psalms 1 is don't stand, don't sit, don't walk with those people. Come out from among them is the way the New Testament places this uh, call on our life. And so we're called to come out of that. And Psalm chapter 1 is is dealing with the personal level. It's dealing with the, our our, our interior life. It's dealing with our devotional life. And it's calling us to, to move into the Word of God. It says clearly in, in Psalm chapter 1, Blessed is he who delights in the law of the Lord and who meditates upon it day and night. So Psalm 1, the first part of this introductory psalm, is, is speaking to the individual. And now it switches gears. And the second part of this, which we have in our Bibles, is Psalm chapter 2, begins to speak on a national global level. It begins to speak of things happening not just in our own heart and our own temptations and our own difficulties or our own holiness. Now it's speaking about a, a national unrighteousness, a, a, nat, a national global vehemence against God and the things of the Lord. Psalm 1 deals, interestingly enough, with the Word. Psalm 2 deals with the Word, excuse me, with the world. Psalms 1 with the Word, Psalms 2 with the world. And if the interesting thing to me is that if you get Psalm 1 right, dig into the Word, delight into the Word, delight in the Word of God. If you get that one right, then it begins to bring the trajectory of your heart into the right place. No matter what is happening around the world, you're going to see your heart be a heart of trust, a heart of faith, a heart of confidence, a heart of boldness, a heart of unstoppable faith in the midst of a storms that might be raging around you. Where, does you. where do you find that? It doesn't come from stopping watching the news. It doesn't come from reading book, good books. It comes from trusting in the Word of God. The Word of God, when you're delighting in it, will cause you to feel victory no matter what's happening around you in the world today. In Psalms chapter 1, we see that the Word of God teaches us in a way that we can endure all the difficulties that are coming into the world. We can endure, we can have faith, we can, the, the Word of God teaches us to endure the world's fallenness. It teaches us to resist the world's folly. It teaches us to embrace God's faithfulness as well. The world's w wicked raging is seen through the lens of, uh, of the wicked, but God helps us when we put our trust and our confidence in Him. We can have a confidence for the future. My friend, are you living in fear today? Do you have sleepless nights? Are you worried about your children? Are you worried about your finances? Well, dig into the Word of God. Get that Psalms 1 right, and then Psalms 2 won't be as troubling. Yes, we'll be tormented of soul. Yes, there'll be some concerns, but we won't find ourselves overwhelmed by the things that are going around us, coming around us. I want to take some time to dig right into the to the scriptures. I want to I want to walk you through this this Psalms. I want you to bear with me and I want you to have your Bibles open and looking uh, diligently at the word of the Lord. Starts off in, in Psalm 1 as we said, excuse me, Psalm 2, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The nation the word here is plural. It is nations that are raging. It's not just one nation. It's not just communist nations. It's not just godless heathen nations. It's, it's nations, plural. All the nations seem to be raging, infuriated against God. Uh, and, and the peoples are plotting vain things. So it's not just nations. It's not just government leaders. Sometimes we, we Christians, we point our fingers at those in uh, leadership or in government authority, and we say they're the ungodly ones 
But you know what Psalms suggest to us here, and I believe it's so true, is that it's not just the nations raging, but it's the peoples. You see, the governments that we get are, particularly in a democracy, are voted in. And so we get sort of what we want. We get what we deserve, even, you could say. And so we are people that are supporting, encouraging, and voting for ungodly leaders. Uh, there are scriptures in the Old Testament that speak about you get the leaders that your heart desires. You get the priest after your own heart, and you get the government after your own heart as well, I believe. And then it says that the kings of the earth set themselves. Interesting word he uses here is, is set. It's, it's, it means to uh, be rooted and grounded. It means to be uh, unmovable, unshakable in this. You, you have set your way here. It's an illusion. It, it alludes to Psalm, Psalm chapter 1 when it speaks about uh, don't sit in the seat of the scornful. Uh, same root word Hebrew here is to sit or to set. It, it's signifying that don't, uh, don't be firm in this. And yet it's saying that the kings, are, are firm, they firmly set themselves together. Uh, and the rulers are taking counsel. And so you see the, the word rulers here speaks of the judiciary. It's, it's speaking of judges and lawyers and, and those, the policymakers and politicians who are setting agendas. They are taking counsel together to diminish the things of God that are found in a culture. They are uh, setting up uh, laws and regulations and mandates that uh, uh, cause things that would take place with the freedoms that God's people might have, the, the, vi the vision that they have to go ahead. Uh, the, the world is trying to diminish that and come against those things. Plotting, setting, counseling against the Lord and against His anointed. Who, who is the Lord? God Most High. And His anointed is the Son, Christ Jesus. Interesting, even back before Christ was ever born, there was a picture of what was to come. Scholars tell us that this is a psalm that was spoken of originally of King David himself when he was faced by many difficulties around him, as you in your own life and, me might, and I might be as well. But it's not just about David, and it's not just about you and I. It's about the King, Christ Jesus, and how the world wants to come against him, or the world wants to accuse him, the world wants to diminish him, the world wants to sideline him, the world wants to, to, to place him in the back burner. If, if he's allowed at all in society, it's only in the personal life of people, as long as they're not spoken in the public square. And God will have none of that. Jesus will have none of that. It, you may come up against him, People may plot in vain against him, but that's the, the glory of this is that one word is found in these first few verses. It's vain. It's vanity. It can't help. You can't win. You can't rule. You can't reign. You set yourselves up against God, and it'll have no power, no authority, no lasting impact compared to what God and his power has for us. So he's coming against us, coming against the Lord and is anointed. And then in verse 3 it says, uh, here's what they're saying. Let us burst the, his bond, their, their bonds apart and let us cast their cords from us. You picture here somebody in chains uh, and they say, let's, let's, let's burst those things and then tear them off and not only have them gone, but cast them away so they're not even near us. Not, there's no restriction. We are living an unrestrained life. Now, God's laws are, are never bondage. That, that what we are bound to is sin. So you see the deception here. They want to stay bound in their sin and they want to be free from the yoke uh, that is not a yoke of slavery, but the light yoke of Jesus that he has on our lives. And we see here, they're saying, man, let's burst this thing. 
Let's break these bonds apart. Let's, let's just rage against these things of God. And they're, they're, they're plotting in vain, and they're taking counsel together against the things of the Lord. Acts chapter 4 verse 27 begins to speak about this when it says they were, they were coming against this holy child whom you have anointed uh, the, the, both Herod and Pilate and the Gentiles and the people of Israel. You see the, the parallel here in Acts chapter 4 with Psalm chapter 2. And they gathered together and whatever the holy council had determined. God had determined that all their plans would be in vain and that even though they counseled together to come against Christ that that the that those bonds would not be broken, those chains would not be broken. That God would uh, would continue to have His plan, His word, His authority, His yoke, so to speak, be what God would have for the future in our life. Now, the good news is in chapter five, God begins to move situations here in in this in the context. We we see the first few verses are, are speaking of. Uh, about what the heathen and the nations that are raging say. And now God has his turn. Here's the good news, my friend. God always has his turn. He may wait. He may listen. He is patient. He is enduring. He is faithful. And yet there comes a time where God says, now I am going to speak. Now I'm going to have my rule. Now I'm going to have my way. And what he says here in verse 4 is, is he who sits in the heavens laughs. Uh, and I like that he uses this word again. Isn't this brilliant? He uses the word, he who sits they are sitting in the seat of the scornful. They have set themselves against God and his anointed one. But there's one who's sitting above them. He's sitting in the heaven. He's seated. He's not worried. He's not pacing. He's not anxious. He's not stressed. He is sitting there saying, I just, I, I laugh, not in a, a, a comic kind of humorous way, but in a, in a scornful way, like uh, how, how ludicrous this is this raging that the nations, the vanity that they think they have, and, and, and how sad it is, so to speak, that, that my own people would get anxious over these things and worry about these things, and in these times of crisis, lose a trusting heart. And so God says to them, he's sitting in heaven, he's laughing, the Lord holds them in derision. Interesting phrase here, he uses the word, he holds them. He's, he's got them in their grasp. It's, I, I picture here like a coach, a football coach, you know, grabbing a young player who's, who's not listening to the directions, and he just grabs hold of them, trying to speak into their life. It's, it's not a, a word of hatred. It's not a word of despising, but he's holding them in derision, saying that's not the way to live your life. There's got to be a different way for you, and God has that for us. He goes on in verse 5. He says, Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, you see here, we don't in our society today picture a God is a, 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 who has this anymore. It's almost like that's the Old Testament God. He's, he's not a God who would no, any longer have any wrath or fury, but he does. And there's coming, we see this in the book of Revelation. So this is not just an Old Testament way of talking that God has. This is constantly something that God has in his own being. And he terrifies them in his fury, saying... And now, you look at, back to verse 2, chapter 2, and it says they were taking counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, and, and the word used there is saying. Now, God uses that same word in verse 5. Now it's my turn for a saying. I'm going to say something to you. And it's always powerful when God speaks because the world speaks and it has no power. It has vanity. God speaks, and His sayings are always true. His sayings are sovereign. His sayings always come 100% to pass. And he's saying, as for me, I love this, as for me, 
you rage, you, you plot, you counsel together, you say break bonds, you say cast off these things, but now I'm saying to you, as for me, this is God saying, as for me, I have set my king, my on Zion, my holy hill. This is, this is Jesus actually saying, God is saying about me, I'm the king. I have been set. Now, this is in context again. We know this is King David in his generation, but he's prophesying of a day to come where Jesus would be set up as king over all kings, ruler over all rules, rulers. We also know through history that Psalm chapter 2 was called the coronation chapter, the coronation psalm or the coronation song. And it was, it was quoted or sung over uh, the kings, when a new king was being set up in Israel. And when David was set up in Israel, you know, uh, the, the people were troubled. There were, there were the Philistines and all kinds of enemies encamped around them. And the people were wondering because there was problems between Saul and there was problems between David and, and Saul had lost a, a battle and was, was killed. And so there was uh, a national trepidation that was taking place. And they bring David in. He's coronated in the city, and they, they set him uh, as king on Mount Zion on that holy hill. And that brings a peace to the people. That brings a trust to the people. They see God's anointed one established being set up on that hill, a high and holy hill. And that's what we see today in Jesus Christ. He's set. He's established. He's king. He's ruler. He's in authority. Rage all you want. Come against God with all you want. Say everything you want. Let media say what they want. Let government say what they want. Let social uh, media say what it want. Let newspapers say what they want. Let your school teachers say what they want. Let professors say what they want. Even let, let uh, uh, fallen, backslidden pastors say what they want in diminishment of God. But they'll never succeed. They'll never find true victory because as for me, Jesus says, uh, God says about Jesus, I have set my king my, on Zion, my holy hill. Verse 7 says, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. You are my son is what the father says to Jesus. He didn't select some foreign king. He didn't select some great young leader. He brought his own son to be set on that holy hill. He said, this is the one who can rule and reign in perfect justice, perfect power, perfect peace. And today I have begotten you. Now this is a strange passage and I don't want to get too deep into the weeds here on this, but I do want to comment on this because it can be quite confusing. Today I have begotten you as a son. Does that mean Jesus was born? Was there a time when Jesus wasn't in existence? There are many false teachings that say that. There are false religions that say that Jesus was created, that he was born. And they uh, sometimes allude to this passage saying that he was begotten, that he was today, he was born. This word today is this day. This day I've begotten you to be my son who reigns on this holy hill. Today I'm using this my position as king of kings and lord of lords to set you up on an earthly kingdom. And this word begotten speaks of, uh, and again, I won't take too much time here, but just it speaks of what we call in theology, theological terms, uh, eternal generation, that he was begotten. He comes from the Father. He was he's constantly being sent from the Father. But it wasn't like it happened in year A.D., 33 or AD 1 or it didn't happen in 400 BC or it didn't happen even at the creation of the world at, at the day one of the of uh, the six day creation Jesus existed eternally before all things and the word begotten means he's coming out of he's coming from 
uh, just as the Holy Spirit is sent from. And so the three are, are constantly moving together as one. It's eternally begotten of one another, the Son being begotten of the Father. And so Jesus gets to say this in response in verse 8, Ask of me, the Father saying, And I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. And so you have these kings and these rulers and these peoples that are coming against the things of God. But the reason we don't need to fear is the possession of all these things belong to Jesus Christ. He is the one who is the inheritor of all nations. And yes, there's going to be raging and it's going to get worse as times come, but we're going to see that God's heritage is in the Son, Christ Jesus, and He's going to rule and reign. It continues to say in verse 9, and He will break them with a rod of iron. They're trying to break apart these, these, uh, these chains, and if they don't respond in grace and mercy, as we'll see in just a moment, then they're going to have to deal with this rod of iron and dashing them to pieces like a potter's vessel. You see here the, the, the idea of a last day's judgment Yes, it seems like, seems like God is allowing things to take place that are just, maybe if in our own judgment we say, I would have put a stop to that. I wouldn't let them speak like that to me. I wouldn't let them do that in society. I wouldn't let abortion go on like that. I wouldn't let transgenderism take place the way it is and advocated in schools. I wouldn't allow all those things. Why, why is God not doing this? Why, how can we trust him when he's being so seemingly too long-suffering with the problems around the world today. Well, we know there's a day coming, a day of judgment, a a day where God says enough is enough, and he puts a cease and an end to all of it, dashing to pieces all of these things that come against God, and we will live forever with God in a time of peace and joy in eternity. Verse 10, Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Now he's beginning to speak to these people, and I find this very helpful to us when we're trying to trust and wanting to trust God in the midst of these storms that rage around us. You know, we see God, and we sometimes question uh, the, the, the idea of what I said just a minute ago, of his long-suffering. But, but we see here, if you go back to me with me um, in verse 5, he says, Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury. Interesting, he doesn't say, Then I am speaking to them. He says, I will speak to them in my fury. In other words, he's holding off his judgment. He's being very patient. He's enduring, not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. He's giving you and I time today in the church to begin to preach the gospel, to continue to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, that the nations might come to the Lord, that hundreds, thousands, even millions of people come into the family of God. And he's, he's long-suffering and patient for us to be able to minister to people. And he's saying, I'm going to speak to you one day in my wrath. I'm going to speak to you in judgment, in my fury. But that's a future tense because he's giving himself time and he's giving people time to fulfill what he's saying there in verse 10. So therefore, here's my cry to you. Oh, praise God. You see his patience. You see his mercy. You see his tenderness. You see that loving heart, uh, the Father's heart of love here. And he says in verse 10, Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. So he's calling on those who are rejecting them. Rather than an instantaneous judgment, he in his mercy is calling on them. Kings, presidents, rulers, leaders, judicial leaders, political leaders, social leaders, school leaders, family leaders, turn to, to, to come, come to the Lord, serve Him with fear and rejoice with trembling. 
Verse 11 may sound a bit like, like an oxymoron. Well, how can you uh, serve with fear and how can you rejoice with trembling? It's interesting in the economy of God how these two things can be married together. There, and, and if we don't marry these two together, we'll be lopsided one way or another. We'll, we'll be all about, about serving and trembling and fearing. Uh, but on the other hand, we'll be all about rejoicing and happiness and peppiness, but not having that reverence for the Lord. A healthy Christian, one who really trusts God, is one who brings these things together in life. Yes, I will fear the Lord with trembling, but I will also re- uh, I will fear the Lord and I'll serve Him, but I also rejoice with trembling. And I rejoice in having that, that sense of honor and of majesty of God. I, I, I tremble in reverence at, at the splendor of the high and lofty one, and yet at the same time, that is what actually brings my heart to a jo- place of rejoicing. I don't rejoice just over the fact that uh, I, I can sort of be casual about things. I don't rejoice over the fact that it's all done and I can live any kind of lifestyle I want. I rejoice that he causes me to tremble at his presence. I believe we're living in a day where the church of Jesus Christ needs to know and understand who God is, that, that he is not to be mocked, that he's not to be trifled with, that he is a high and holy God, and we need to honor him. And we can't honor him that way unless we truly know him. That's why I'm writing a book right now on the attributes of God, because I have realized the, the declension of the knowledge of God, what, what Sunday school kids knew in the, in the 1800s, most scholars don't even know today. I don't know today, and I'm wanting to dig into the things of God so that I can rejoice with trembling. And then the last verse says, kiss the son. It speaks here of intimacy. It's not just a, um, a being submissive to him, but it's actually being intimate with him, being, being, being love. It's, it's, uh, but it's not just a, a kind of a sloppy kiss. It's not, it's not some of those foolishness things we talk about in, and sing about in the church today. This is a reverence. Uh, this, is, this would be more like, like kissing the ring of a king in in, in deference to him and reverence to him. And so we're seeing that, yet, but yet it is a move of intimacy. It's, it's a humbling move. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's saying, I, I lay my sword against you down and I come to be one of your servants, one of your, one of your, but also one of your friends, one of those who, who can, can walk with you and talk with you and, and, and find, like we said, and that Psalms 1, uh, delighting in the word of God with you. Kiss the son. And there's one more warning here, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. Psalm 1 and 2 is filled with this word way, the way, the way of the wicked. Uh, verse 6 of 1, the, the Lord knows the way of the righteous, the, but the way of the wicked will perish. The, this word way is used over and over again. And now at the close of this introductory psalm, he's saying, lest you perish in the way, because God's wrath is kindled quickly but blessed are those who take refuge in him. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. And uh, King James says this, blessed is the one who trusts in him, who trusts in him during times of crisis. And that's what this series is all about, that we would learn to trust God in times of crisis. You say, wouldn't it be better if God just took away the, the crisis? No, it wouldn't be better. Not, not for you and I in our spiritual growth because it is in those times of crisis that we're stretched, that we're challenged, that we develop our spiritual muscles, that we learn how to war. There's a passage in the Old Testament that says, I'm going to leave several, several tribes. I think the Bible says five different tribes when you come into the promised land. I'm going to leave them in there. And the people wonder, why would you leave an enemy in our land? And God says to them in response, I'm going to teach you how to war. I'm going to train your hands for war. 
And we see this in our times of trials and tribulations. My friends, you may not want to experience the crisis you're going through. You may not want our nation to be living in the crisis times that we are in. But if we find that we will learn to trust God in the middle of that, he will raise us up to be a people that not only delight in the law of the Lord, but are part of God's kingdom plan as his son is set upon this holy hill to be his servants, to serve him with fear and reverence, to serve him in such a way that this message of the gospel, repent so that you don't perish in the way, come out from the world, be different, that we could be shining examples, that we could live this. In conclusion, I just want to encourage you, lastly, to live that Psalms 1 Live that Psalms 1, that diligence to study the Word of God, to meditate on it day and night, so that when you're living in the Psalms 2 world, you're not stressed, you're not anxious, you're not fearful, you're not overcome, you're not overwhelmed. You are a pillar of peace in the raging storm around you. And then people will come to you and say, how did you get that peace? How, how are you as a father, as a mother, able to... to uh, be so peaceful about your family life, your financial life. You are not seemingly as worried about some of the pandemic situations or the governmental situations. You're 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 uh, diligent and you're faithful and you're you're uh, effective in your life, but you're not living in stress, anxiety, and fear. That's what God has for His children. And I encourage you right now to come into that place where you say, God, I want to live that kind by delighting in the Word of God by trusting in you with all of my heart, by casting all my cares upon you and living this reverent honor, intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ as our King. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that anyone listening to this video would be touched by the hand of God, by the presence of God, and by the power of God, and that our lives would be transformed. We would be a people who trust. We would be people who have confidence in our God. Oh, we would realize that you are good all the time and that nothing is, 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 uh, nothing is causing you to fear. Nothing is causing you to be anxious. You are set and you have set your king. You have set Jesus Christ on that high and lofty hill and he is ruling and reigning, God. He is, he is having in his hand the power to break and to demolish every foreign thing that comes against the plans and purposes of God. And yet he also has that reconciling power to bring men and women, even kingdoms and nations, to himself as they would bow before him. We pray for America and other nations around the world, but we that are pastors and leaders here in America of the church, Christian church, we pray for our nation as it is in spiritual declension, as it is in times of trouble. But Lord, we're not going to get anxious, not going to get fearful. We're going to trust you that you can make an awakening happen, that there could be many who would become to rejoice and fear and trembling before you, that they might kiss the sun that as you have anointed your son to be exalted on high, that we would bow before him, that we would bow before you, Christ Jesus, and let you be Lord of all. You're Lord of our family. You're Lord of our finances. You're Lord of our health and our situation. You're Lord of our future and, our, and, our, and the calling on our life. You're Lord of the plans of your life. You're sovereign over all these things. And because we know you're sovereign and you're good, we can trust you. And we give thanks for that in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> 